0: MOVE United Warfighters Ambassador Terry Hayes served as a heavy equipment operator in the U.S. Army. In 2011, she was diagnosed with a rare degenerative brain disease with no cure and no treatment. As someone that was used to being active, she was looking for a wheelchair sport when she learned about para-fencing. Now, at age 63, she will be heading to Tokyo to compete for the United States in the Paralympic Games and is the oldest female Category B fencer in the world. Proving in more ways than one, there are no limits. so Terry, thank you for joining me today.
1: My pleasure
0: No, well, i wanted to I really want to talk about your involvement with para fencing. Um, i know that I know that you got started at a late age of fifty eight right
1: Yes, yes, that's true
0: and how did you how did you discover the sport?
1: Um, I went to, um, a women in sports, a women in wheelchair sports camp called Camp Discovery out in Colorado. And we tried all kinds of sports. Um, we did hiking, zip line, rock wall, yoga, hand cycles, um, just a big variety of horseback riding, big variety of sports. And when I came home from camp. I said, well, I I have to get back into sports again because I used to do all kinds of sports before um, I became a full time wheelchair user. And I thought I have got to get up and get back into this because it's so good for me physically and mentally. So I Googled wheelchair sports and up pops the video of Lauren DeLuca representing the United States in para fencing at the Rio. Paralympic Games. And I watched it and I was just mesmerized by it. And I thought, that is so cool. That is something I want to do. So I didn't know who to call or who to talk to, how to get started. So I just went on Facebook and found um, a fencing Facebook page and asked some questions. And this person asked this one and that one asked this one. And I got the phone number for Jenny Boydston, which is the team manager. And I called her and I said, I want a pair of fence. And she <laughs> said, "You need to find you a club. And sometimes clubs don't want to work with disabled athletes. So once you find a club, you call me back. we got to do that first. I said, okay. So I cracked open the phone book and I called the club closest to me. And I said, I'd like to take lessons. And the guy, um, Charlie Johnson said, oh, that's great. Come on Monday nights. We have beginners. I said, well... Uh, I'm in a wheelchair full time. So I'm going to have to fence in a wheelchair. He goes, oh, I've never taught anyone in a wheelchair. And I said, well, I've never fenced. He said, well, this is going to work out perfect. And he's still my uh, coach to this day. He's my foil and epic coach. And um I love him dearly. He's part of our family now. So that's how I got started.
0: And how close is that club to you? Like, how did you have to travel far or did, was it was was there one you know in, in your in your backyard basically
1: uh one town over from us it's only about thirty thirty five minutes to get there so it's not bad at all
0: and and what's the what is the club what is the name of the club
1: Southwest Florida fencing academy
0: that's great and and so um you you said that he had never coached any anybody with a disability before um how was it How was it from his experience?
1: Um, At first, I think it was very challenging for, it definitely was extremely challenging for me because I had no idea what I was doing. Charlie has fenced for years and years and been on the Pan Am team and everything. So he's very experienced, not only fencer, but coach of all levels. Um, So he had a lot of background and knowledge in fencing and he just had to figure out how to convert that into Someone that's setting down, um, and so we we worked on it together. And then um, I ended up going to the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic uh, Para Fencing Camp out in Colorado Springs at the Training Center, and met my national coach Mickey Zelkovich. and he gave me tons and tons of drills and tips and ideas on how to become a para fencer. And when I came home, I went over everything with Charlie, and then Charlie was in touch with Mickey, and Charlie was in touch with Jenny. And together, they worked out a program that's worked for me. And I still train with Charlie. I also train with my saber coach, Dr. Brent Myers. And then I still go out to the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center in Colorado Springs um, for training camps with the other fencing athletes.
0: And so for you and Charlotte, it's really a, it was a partnership. I mean, both of you were bringing something to the table, but both of you were learning at the same time. Yes.
1: Yes. And when uh, the first night I came to the club, there was a a huge um, step up to get up on the fencing floor itself. And um, so when I came in, I couldn't, it was too high. I couldn't get up it, but um, Frida my wife, um, just popped my wheelchair and and I was up there. So when he saw that, he said, you know what, if you come more than two weeks, I'll put a ramp in here for you. He said, I'm not doing it till I see you're going to come back. I said, well, I'll be back next week. So I came back the next week. He said, okay, you come one more time. I'm putting it in. And I came (laughs) and he already had it in before the second time. And then when I came the next week, he I rolled into the club and I'm like, where is he? I don't see him anywhere. And he hollered from the bathroom. He goes, Terry, I'm in the bathroom. I'm putting rails up for you. I said, oh, thank you so much. So he did all that without me having to ask him. So he's been wonderful to work with.
0: And you mentioned something at the very beginning, Terry, about this camp discovery. How did you you discover, if you will, camp discovery?
1: I saw um, a Facebook posting that was looking for um, women in wheelchairs that would like to try a variety of sports. And I was like, sign me up for that. And um, I signed up for it. And then unfortunately, I had a bad fallout of my wheelchair and I broke my hip and my femur. And I needed a lot of surgery and rehab and everything. And my motivation was getting all that done in time to go to this camp. That really kept me going. And I was released from my orthopedic surgeon like three weeks before I flew out to go to camp
0: wow and and so that was your first foray into adaptive sports right
1: um yes, yes, that was it
0: and and I imagine the 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 sense of you know community one um it being, you know, tailored towards women. And then, uh, you know, it, it, since it was a wheelchair specific sports camp, I mean, those types of opportunities and those types of uh, community, you know, building and community gathering uh, are, are critical and essential, I think, for, for everyone, right?
1: Yes. Yes. And I still keep in touch with a lot of the women that I went to camp with and we time and, text back and forth and we're we're on each other's facebook page and um, my one friend that i met at camp julie grant um she saw that i was para fencing and she sent me some messages and wanted to know all about it and uh now she's on the team para fencing.
0: Hmm. That's awesome. And you said you googled or or found para fencing videos. What was it about the sport of fencing that particularly uh got your interest
1: um i think it's uh, it's considered a contact sport um and a combat contact and combat sport and you're so close to the other person because your chair is locked in a frame and theirs is locked in a frame and you're facing each other unless you fence a left-handed person and then they're kind of next to you which is Whole nother ball game, but they're (laughs) right up in your face, and the only way to get away from them is to really lean way far back out of your chair. And then when you go to attack, you have to lunge way out while they're leaning back to be able to get them. And it's kind of like a chess game, you have to try to figure out what are they going to do next, what target on me are they going to try to hit, and how can I defend from that. So, um it's physical and it's mental, and the combination of the two were just very appealing to me. I just love it.
0: And you got into the sport, you know, at the age of fifty-eight. Um yep. I think I, you know, you, I don't know if you want to this, this dis, disclose your age now, but you, you, oh, I sure. think told me that you're the oldest woman that's in your category, so that's awesome.
1: Yes. Yes, I'm the oldest female category B fencing in the world. And I'm 62 now, and should I get a spot to the Paralympics in 2020, which is looking very good for that, I'll be 63 years old when I represent Team USA, and I'll be so proud to do that for so many reasons.
0: And and Rightfully so, and you should be, and, and I think that what it, what it can show is that this sport, and many sports, but this sport in particular is somewhat ageless and you can, and you should be able to participate in sport and, and, and and benefit from all the, all the activities that, that sports provide. And I think that you're show, showing that, you know, on a regular basis.
1: It, that's true. And uh, able body fencing and para-fencing, you can start at a really young age. Uh, they have a um, youth 10 category and it goes all the way up to um, 70 plus. Um, for able body now, para fencing, we're all in the same category. So I compete against some women that are 18 years old, um, mm-hmm. and I could be their grandma, but that's okay because once we're on the strip, we're all equal.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And in that time frame, which I guess is like seven years that you've been involved in the sport, uh, you've been able to compete not only in the U.S. but across the world.
1: Yes, yes. Um, I've been lucky enough to be on the World Cup circuit um, in the quad leading up to the 2020 Paralympic Games. And um, I've had the opportunity to travel to Brazil, South Korea, Canada, the Netherlands, Poland, Hungary, the United Arab Emirates, and to experience, and I have friends around the world now.
0: And what um, I know, obviously, you're there to compete, but are, do you get? Is there other things that you get out of being able to comp, uh, travel and ex, and and experience, you know, different cultures or different parts
1: of the world? Oh, sure. Um, there's food from whatever the host country is, so every time we go to a different country, I get to try food from whatever country we're in, um, and that's always an experience. And then we usually have, I like to go on a day early. So I have one day that Frida and I can go sightseeing. Um, and sometimes that's easy to do. It's The uh, hotel where we're staying is in an area where we can roll out the front door and roll around and see lots of stuff. Sometimes we have to take a bus or um, get an Uber or whatever and go around. um, And there are obstacles in other countries that the U.S. doesn't have because we have the ADA um, and other countries don't have that. So uh, it can be challenging and it can end up being really funny. Some of the situations you get in, Um, but it's all a learning experience. It's, I love to get to meet people from other countries and um, see how they live, see how they work. Um, it's just a wonderful experience all the way around to, to get to, to have. And with, without Parafins and I would have never done any of that.
0: And that's a good point, Terry, in terms of the ADA. Um, what are some of the challenges that you've experienced in other countries because of, they don't have something like the Americans for Disabilities Act?
1: Um, when we stayed in Brazil, um, the most of the team stayed at the, the Brazil has its own Paralympic training facility, which the U.S. does not have, but they do. And it's it's beautiful. Everything. The whole building was built to be accessible for everything. Um, so that's really great. So that's where we competed. But and they also have um, housing there, but it was full. So we had to stay in a hotel um, and we got to the hotel room and the guy brought our luggage up. And I had to go to the bathroom and I could not get through the door to get into the bathroom. Mm. So I rang downstairs and they didn't speak English and I didn't speak Portuguese, but they came up <laughs> and I tried to explain what the problem was. And that I wasn't getting anywhere. And so I rolled over and just bumped into the, where the door frame was. And I put my hands up, like I don't fit. I need to get in there. So He held up one finger, like, just a moment, and some maintenance guys come up and took the frame off the door, which I knew wasn't going to help because it was the hole where the door is, not the frame. So they pulled all that wood off, and then he pointed, like, try it again, and I did, and it still didn't work. So then um, he holds up one finger again, like, wait just a minute, and he comes back with this very, very rickety old um, fold-up wheelchair with a sling seat in it, and he tried to get that in the bathroom, and that wouldn't go. And Frida said, oh, let me fold it up and take it in backwards and set it right inside the door. So she did. I got my five foot slide board, which I never travel without that. And I pulled up as close as I could. I got on my five foot board, scooch, 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 popped into the the collapsible wheelchair. Frida pulled it backwards and then I got wedged between two walls because it was very small. We were really laughing, it was hysterical. And then she finally got me around the corner And uh, then when I wanted to shower, me in the wheelchair, I had to go in the shower. Um, So that was definitely an experience. And when we were in Tbilisi, Georgia, the whole team we were out sightseeing, we're going down the sidewalk and all of a sudden there's a huge tree in the middle of the sidewalk. And on the right-hand side was a cliff and on the left-hand side was six lanes of traffic. So um, our team manager, Jenny, and... Um one of the fencers' moms was with us and um Sherry Jensen was with us and then Frida was with us and they took all four of us one at a time down in the street, around the tree, back up the sidewalk. So after we did the first one, I thought, yay, home free. And we didn't go very far at all. And I saw the next tree. I'm like, are you kidding me? So it was a whole row of trees we had to do that for. So it's way different experience than in the U.S., you're not going to find a tree in the middle of the sidewalk. So, very true. But looking back on it, it was a, it was hysterical experience. I mean, even at the time, we were laughing over it.
0: Very true. And you mentioned um, Tokyo and your aspirations, obviously, to uh, represent Team USA there. What um, you know w- between now and the and the actual games, what what is required and what is on your docket in order to be able to do so?
1: Um, I have, uh, right before the pandemic five days before everything closed down, we were to take a flight to go back to Brazil for the last world cup and America's zonal championship back to back. And we were ready to roll out of here and everything came to a screeching halt. So that world cup has been on hold for a whole year. Um, And they've rescheduled it to May 2021. That's coming May. Um, And each zone, European zone, Asian zone, and America zone, has their own championship, um, which is two times the point value. So you really want to go to that um, to get your points up, to get a slot. So the... Asian one is first. So if they cancel the Asian one altogether, they're, I think they're just going to stop and take what points they have now and, and give out the slots.
0: And you said you're in a, a good position at this point.
1: Yes. If, if they, if these other competitions don't go off and we stop where we're at, I'm like 99% that I've got a slot to go. That's awesome. So, um, We were so wrapped up to go last year. I mean, we had trained, 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 trained. Every month I was either in a different state or different country for almost two years. And we were really peak performance ready to go. Right now, we haven't uh, had a camp where all the American parafencers have been together and haven't been able to bout for over a year.
0: Yeah, it's definitely been a a dramatic shift, obviously, for yes. Uh, for all of us, but for athletes that are, you know, waiting to go to the Olympic and Paralympic games.
1: Yes, we have been doing, our national coach does Zoom lessons with us. And at first I thought, how is that going to work? That is never going to work. I'll go, but it's not going to work. So I uh, clicked on the first time we had a lesson and Mickey had it figured out and we Started taking lessons, and I've made big improvement in the year that uh, that we've just been doing Zoom lessons, because he can do very detailed instructions, um, where when you're in a camp with 20 other fencers, you don't get as much individualized attention, but with these Zoom lessons, you do get a lot of attention, so um, I- I'm feeling good about where I'm at right now.
0: So let's pivot a bit, and let's talk about, you know, your life before that camp discovery experience, what, I know that you were, said you were active in sports prior to uh, being a a full-time wheelchair user. So talk about your life a little bit leading up to that point.
1: Um, before I became paralyzed, you mean,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um, I was very active, always on the go. I hardly ever sat down. Um, I like to, um, I did competitive race walking, competed on a marathon, played competitive softball, um, rode my bike all over everywhere. Um, I usually walk five or six miles a day because I just enjoyed it. Um, And I was just a very active get out of the house person. Staying inside just wasn't my thing at all. And then after I became paralyzed, it's like, now what do I do? you know, I thought the door just slammed shut on me. And um, I I quickly realized I have to do something here because I can't live like this. I can't live sitting inside my house day after day. For one thing, it's boring as heck. And it just wasn't me. And uh, so once I figured out how to uh, ride around in a wheelchair without bashing into people and falling out of it. I'm like, okay, I'm on my way now. At least I can get outside the house and, and roll around for exercise. And then the ad came up for camp and off. I went and I haven't slowed down since.
0: And, um, for those that may not know your story, like how did, how did you, how what, what led to obviously, um, your paralyzation?
1: Um, I have a, um, Brain disease called primary cerebellar degeneration and it's a degenerative uh, brain disease with um, no treatment and no cure Um, and I'm paralyzed to mid-chest now Um, and the prognosis is not good it creeps up your body so I'm figuring I'm gonna do as much as I can as long as I can the best I can and I'll deal with whatever comes when it comes.
0: And is it I'm not familiar with with that. Um, it's
1: very least,
0: rare. I was going to say I, I, I was I was going to ask him how rare was it. So, yeah, very. And you said there's no there's no cure at this point.
1: No, and there's no treatment either. Basically, they, you know, it's we're really sorry we can't do anything for you, and that was it.
0: And how how long have you when did when did the did you get um, diagnosed? How long have you had? Known about it?
1: Um, I was diagnosed in um, 2011, and I was still walking at the time, but I was very unsteady. I couldn't walk by myself. I had to hold on to somebody. I really looked like I was highly, highly intoxicated, and um, which really made me be want to stay home because anytime we would go somewhere, people I did not know constantly made contacts well, you shouldn't drink so much and go out in public or wow, you had one too many or especially if you went to the went to a restaurant and I would have a soda and not even have any alcoholic beverage and get up to leave. And they were like, dang, you must have had 10 drinks or something. And that was very upsetting to me. It was terribly upsetting. And um, and it, I mean, it just I kept going downhill till I was paralyzed. And then uh, people don't call me drunk anymore now, <laughs> um, and I'm. I might have to get around using a wheelchair, but I, I do not let that stop me at all.
0: Yeah, and I think you raise a very good point in terms of the stigma, um, you know, uh, you know, of a disability, and it doesn't have to always be, you know, wheelchair or, or amputation. But, um, and so, uh, has that stigma changed for you, or? Or do you feel like you experienced it more at the front end than than now?
1: Um, I think I still experienced some of it, but it's different now. Now it's um, people think because you're in a wheelchair, you can't hear. I don't know how that got started, but everybody talks to me really loud. And I tell them my hearing is fine um, or they don't talk to me. They talk to Frida mm-hmm. and um, she is very good with it. Uh, she says you need to ask her. <laughs> and then, then they look at me like, what? She can talk, you know, um, and I'll, you know, answer whatever. I do not mind people asking me questions at all. I'd rather you ask me questions than just stare at me. Just ask me, I'll tell you. Um, and just treat me like you treat anybody else. Don't pat me on the head. I hate that. Um, and most of my friends are very good about it. They know you know if you're going to talk to me for a long time please sit down so i don't have to break my neck leaning my head backward to talk to you um and they're just good with it don't bother them
0: and before uh before all this i know that you served in the military right
1: yes us army
0: and how long were you in the service and what was your mos
1: I was, um, in two years, I was a 62J10 heavy equipment operator. I drove construction equipment.
0: Okay. So I was a 76 Charlie, which is equipment records and parts specialist. Yay. That was exciting. And, uh, but I was in an engineering battalion. So were you in a combat engineer?
1: Yes. I was in, I was in, um, uh, 52nd Engineer Detachment Utilities out of the Presidio of San Francisco, which is in San Francisco. It's a beautiful post.
0: I I imagine that would would have been a good good assignment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, when when that came down on my orders, I'm like, oh, wow, we did I luck out on this one. Yeah, I was very happy.
0: And I'm always curious as to, you know, the reason why people... Uh, sign up and take the oath. Um, what What was it for you that that wanted to serve our country?
1: Um, my dad was an Army veteran, served in World War II, Korea and Vietnam. I was very proud of him. Um, I've always been a very proud American. I'm happy to say that I live here. I'm so proud and blessed that I do live here. Um, and it's my time to do something for my country. And so I signed up and I loved it.
0: Yeah, I think um, that was a similar similar uh, situation for me. My father served, many of, my, many of his brothers served, both my grandfathers served on my mom and dad's side. So it was just uh, something that I felt uh, honored to do, but also you know, that I wanted to do.
1: Right, right.
0: Well, you know, we will definitely be, uh, watching you uh, and following your journey up to Tokyo. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us, Terry?
1: Um, that regardless of what type of disability you have, um, find a sport that you like, whatever it is. Um, find someone in the sport that you look up to that can be your mentor um, and go have fun. That's what people need to do. Just go have fun. Whether you're playing recreational table tennis, or there's a pool and you want to go swimming, or you just want to get out and roll around the neighborhood and enjoy nature and visit with friends, get out of the house and do something. Your mental and physical health will really improve and it can really change your outlook on life. So just get out and go have fun, play.
0: That's a a great place to end because I think sport is Wonderful for our physical health and emotional and mental health, but also just to have fun. Yes,
1: yes. Go have fun. Thanks, Terry. Thank you.